You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It is time. It is time. They can't be the Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. I'm taking one for the team. That's right. I am one of the the real good guys in Packerland. It is Sunday night, and I am recording an episode for Monday afternoon, where we are going to talk about potential compensation in an Aaron Rodgers trade. Now, you have to understand, as a podcaster, how risky... This is this episode. If it's like most of my episodes is going to end up being about an hour long takes uh, anywhere from an hour and a half to maybe three and a half hours to put together an episode of this length. There's going to be a bunch of times where I'll just pause in between sentences and I'll go research some stuff, you know, as I have come up with a, a new idea of an angle that we got to look at. This is a lot of work is the point. And this is like the surest way to jinx myself. Because if I record this episode Sunday night here, it's darn near a guarantee that the Aaron Rodgers news is going to break Monday morning. And my Monday afternoon podcast is going to be completely irrelevant. Nobody's going to want to listen to it. I'm going to have to delete it and record a whole new episode. So you're welcome. I'm taking one for the team. Uh, this is, um, I mean, darn near a guarantee that it's going to cause Aaron Rodgers to make up his mind and announce the decision. So you're welcome. Um, if you want to show your gratitude for me, being such a hero, a selfless hero, patreon.com slash JJ Leahy is a great way to pledge your financial support and help continue to make this this possible because when I have to take a break in the middle of my work day tomorrow, 
to record a new Monday afternoon podcast, that directly translates to my kids not getting enough to eat um, and, and the mortgage not getting paid. And I will probably end up with broken legs because of the uh, uh, debt collectors coming after me. There's no debt collectors coming after me right now, but taking a break during work tomorrow to record a podcast will result in debt collectors coming to break my legs. All right. Enough silliness. We are going to talk about um, potential compensation for Aaron Rodgers, but that is sort of the preliminary discussion that builds into the idea of a extremely offense-heavy draft class this year. I've been having some conversations with people, people in the know, people with connections. I can't let's uh let's do this. Let's say that what I'm talking about here is is all hypothetical, okay? Are you, are you tracking with me? We're going to, we're going to, we are going to say, you and I, we are going to say that what we're talking about here is hypothetical and off the cuff. Okay. Cause, cause we can't say that it has any root in people in the know, in the Jets organization who, who know what Gutekunst is asking for. All right, we can't say that, so we're going to say that this is all hypothetical. You tracking with me? And I think this is actually going to um, be a, a really controversial thing for me to say here because the Jets have done a uh, masterful job of uh, leaking to the media that the Packers don't have any leverage and can't ask very much for Rodgers, which is untrue. It's not true at all. But, and I'm not mad about it. I respect it. It's part of the game. You have to do this. You have to try and uh, create a better position for yourself as the Jets. It is funny to me, though, the number of Packer fans I have talked to <laughs> over the past few days who firmly, genuinely, sincerely believe that the Packers don't have any leverage <laughs> and that they're going to have to give away Aaron Rodgers for peanuts. I mean, this is there are people who actually sincerely believe that. It is certainly not true. It is not remotely true. But it is, it is actually kind of widely believed at this point. And... I think that some of that comes from just natural uh, pessimism, all right? The, the the Packers fan base is a – I mean, if you don't think the Packers fan base is incredibly pessimistic, you do not have a firm grasp on reality. And, and then there's this bracing because of all the disappointment surrounding trades in the past, Right? Oh, we think we're going to trade for Will Fuller, and that doesn't happen. We think we're going to trade for Zach Ertz, and that doesn't happen. We think we're going to trade for... <sighs> I'm drawing a blank on who have even been some of the other... I mean, there's been a lot, but I'm drawing a blank on names at this point. Like, 
every year, you know, uh, probably two times every three years, there's some big thing where people think the Packers are about to go trade for a guy. And then the trade never comes through. And people always get frustrated. They're like bracing themselves here for, well, you know, we never got the outcome I wanted in those other trades. So we're not going to get the outcome I want here either. But you got to apply the logic of, of both situations, okay? Those other trades didn't happen because the Packers didn't want to overpay. And they wanted to get more than they give, right, in these trades. And the exact same thing happens when there is a player they are offloading. All right, I have heard specifics of what the Packers have asked for in exchange for Aaron Rodgers. Are they going to get it? No clue. I have no clue if they're going to get what they're asking for, but I know what they are asking for, and it's a lot. I would hearken back a year ago to conversations that we had about Devontae Adams, and uh, there were there were people, uh, you know, writing for Packers sites, writing on Packers social media, who would pitch the idea of, well, maybe you tag and trade Devontae Adams. And, I mean, without fail, every single time this was brought up, the replies were filled with just this frustration of like, oh, but, I mean, we you wouldn't get anything for him because he wants so much money and, you know, yada, yada. And people would bring up, like, he's not under contract you know, you can't ask a team to give a lot to you for a guy who doesn't even have a contract and then they have to go make him the highest paid wide receiver. And this was just, it was just understood to be fact, right? That the Packers can't get anything good for Devontae Adams because he's not under contract and you can't trade him because he's too expensive. And and, and you heard this over and over and over and over and over again. And of course, it was false. Brian Gutekunst got a first and a second for a guy who wasn't even under contract. Now, he obviously, obviously is aware that he is not going to, in the end, get as much for Aaron as he would have a year ago because he had a crappy 2022 season. But teams around the league know all right, and and we know because we have heard from current NFL execs who talk to members of the media and are asked their opinion about you know how much can you get for Rodgers, and, and and it comes up again and again and again. Like, yeah, he had a down year, but we all still believe he's still got it in him. Is he as good as he was in 2020? Probably not. Is he still a guy that NFL teams believe in? Entirely. Absolutely. So when I tell you that the Packers believe that they are owed and deserve in exchange for giving Aaron Rodgers to another team, that they are owed and deserve compensation of more than a first round pick. All right. First round pick and players, multiple first round picks that they believe that and that they are unwilling 
to give him up for peanuts, you do not need to stress and panic and brace yourself for them to give him up for peanuts. The Packers, the Packers don't have any leverage because Mark Murphy said, well, yeah, you know, we think he's going to, you know, we're, we're trying to find an outcome that, um, that works for Rodgers and for us. Now, hold on a second, but, but didn't he say like, uh, you know, that they don't want him back? No, let's re-examine what Mark said. Is there a scenario where Aaron is still the starting quarterback of the Packers next season? Um, yeah, I mean, unless if things don't work out uh, the, the way we would want them, yeah, we. He's uh, obviously a great player, and uh, you know, four-time MVP, and uh, but you know, I think it's you know trying to find uh, you know what what he wants and what we want, and uh, hopefully we can find a win-win situation. All right, just in case you missed it, we're gonna play it one more time. Um, yeah, I mean, unless if things don't work out the, the, the way we would want them, yeah. Is there a scenario where Rodgers is back as the starting quarterback for the Packers? Yeah, unless things don't work out the way we want them, yeah. Is there a scenario where he's back as the starting quarterback? Yes, unless things don't work out the way we want them. Is this week opposite week? What is going on? This is... <laughs> they restructured David Bakhtiari, and immediately people said, oh, this means he's getting traded. No, that's the opposite of what that means. You restructure him, and it makes it so you can't trade him. All right? Then Mark says this, and people take it the exact opposite of what he's clearly saying. Like, does the English language just not have rules anymore? Is there a scenario where he's back as the starting quarterback? Yeah. Unless things don't work out the way we want them. Let's break that down. So there is a scenario unless things don't work out the way they want them. What is the way they want them? They have made it clear, and Aaron has made it clear, both sides, that the Packers have demands of Aaron Rodgers. There are things that they want and need him to do. Starting with, he needs to freaking commit to two years or it is impossible to fit his contract on a salary cap. You can't fit it for one year. You can fit it for two years or for three years or for zero years, but you can't fit it for one year. Mark is saying, yes, there's a scenario where he can be back, unless things don't work out the way we want them. What is the way they want them? The way they want them is Aaron back within the parameters that they need, which for sure includes a two-year or more commitment probably also includes because we've heard from everybody that it matters to them probably also includes Aaron participating in more of the off season programming and taking his involvement in the team and his practice more seriously comments from uh, Matt and Brian have made that abundantly clear that they want more out of Aaron in those areas 
I don't know for sure that that is part of their demands. I do know for sure it is part of their demands from Aaron. If you want to be back, you have to be back for both 2023 and 2024 because it is impossible for us to have you for only 2023 because the way his contract is set up, it slaps you in the face so hard for 2023 that the only way you can survive it is if you can chunk the cap hit from it up into the 2024 full season and the carryover into the new league year for 2025. And at that point, retire him. Okay. You can not make it work to where Rogers plays for the Packers in 2023 and not in 2024. They get smacked with like $90 million in salary cap charges. So no, Mark Murphy did not throw the last bit of leverage out the window for the Packers. And no, the fact that the Packers would like to move on to Jordan Love does not take away all of the leverage from the Packers and give them to the Jets. Did you know it is cheaper for the Packers to not trade Aaron Rodgers? If Aaron retires or if he plays in... Uh, 2023 and 2024 and then retires. It is a cheaper, easier, more affordable cap hit to the Packers in 2023 than if they trade him. The Jets are not doing the Packers a favor by taking Aaron Rodgers off their hands for a third round pick. They're not, that, that's not how it works. You know who doesn't have leverage? Jets. Here's a article from January. Uh, Jets owner Woody Johnson tells the media, see, Jets owner spoke to reporters Thursday to discuss the 2022 season and the state of the franchise. One of the biggest topics discussed was what the Jets will do at quarterback. Johnson says that if, uh, the, the, you know, the GM and the coach come to him and say, you need a quarterback, you need a veteran. Would you be willing to pay whatever it takes to get one? He says, absolutely. He was asked to follow up, no matter the cost. And he said, well, there's a salary cap, so there's an amount that you can spend. But yeah, that's kind of the missing piece. He went on to talk about how good their defense was, how good the whole team looked, minus the quarterback. The Jets do not have options. They are not going to walk away from the table and say, Aaron's taking too long to decide, so we're going to go with Jimmy G. Jimmy G is a joke. All 32 teams in the NFL know that nobody, including the Jets, is going to go get Lamar Jackson. All 32 teams know that. And if Aaron says that he wants to go to the Jets, the Jets are not walking away. If Aaron says, yep, I want to come there, Come get me. The Jets lose all leverage. There's nothing they can do but pay what the Packers are asking. And the Packers can and will sit tight and wait until they feel that they are fairly compensated. The uh, Rodgers has this option bonus 
that the Packers have to pick up at some point. If they don't pick it up, then it just becomes guaranteed salary, and that is awful for the Packers' salary cap. There's an article on Pro Football Network that says that the, that the deadline to pick up that option bonus for $59 million is March 17th. That is false information. That is untrue. March 17th is when they can pick it up. The deadline is the day before the first regular season game of the 2023 season. The Packers have a long time before they are forced to pick that up. And there is zero advantage to the Packers for them to pick it up any sooner than they need to. There's no reason for them to do it. It doesn't benefit them in any way. You know who cannot wait until the day before the regular season starts? <laughs> the Jets. The Jets want to get Aaron Rodgers in the building. They want him learning the playbook. They want him working with the guys. They want him learning terminology in this new scheme. All of the leverage belongs to the Packers. Now, can the Packers ask for five first-round picks? No, they don't have that kind of leverage. Can they ask for two first-round picks and a player? Yes, they can. I have heard from multiple different people that Brian Gutekunst said that the minimum price for Aaron Rodgers is two first-round picks. That That's the minimum. Now, just because that's what he said does not mean that that is the minimum, because why would you tell somebody what the minimum was? Because then they'll just say, okay, fine, then let's go with the minimum. <laughs> uh, so that's not how it works. If, if you tell somebody, no, I, you know, I want two first-round picks and – uh, Quinn Williams and Garrett Wilson, and I'm not going to go any lower than two first round picks. Then at that point, the Jets are like, okay, I don't know why we're talking about Quinn and Garrett. You already told me you're willing to go as low as just two first round picks. So like leave those guys names out of it. Goody wants draft picks. He wants young players. He has a couple holes on his roster to fill the Jets. I don't think the Jets have a fantastic offense. I think it's okay. It's middle of the road for the AFC. Um, they have a really, really good defense. They also have a surplus of good players on defense and not quite enough good players on offense. The Packers have a couple of holes on defense. I think they are surely going to try and plug the safety hole. And just from a positional value standpoint, you need to try and get an edge rusher out of this deal because you need another edge rusher on your roster, especially with Rashawn Gary likely missing, uh, let's call it a third of the season before he can get, you know, back into games. And then, you know, you're talking another year before he's peak Rashawn Gary again. Statistically, that's historically what you're probably looking at. The Jets have a lot of good DBs. They have a lot of good, uh, edge rushers. They are, I, I'm not, they're a little thin on the D line. And I, I mean, they don't, they got kind of Quinn and Williams and nobody else on the D line. And, and they're not moving Quinn and Williams. 
that that's not happening. Quinnen is the kind of guy you build the team around. You don't trade him away for uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but they got a lot of <laughs> they got a lot of edge rushers. Carl Lawson. Uh, he's a 2017 pick. Michael Clemens was a fourth fourth round pick last year. Uh, Jermaine Johnson was a first round pick last year. John Franklin Myers was a fourth round pick in 2018. Then you got a guy named Bryce Huff, who was an undrafted guy in 2020. And he kind of was nobody in 2020, nobody in 2021. And then he played about 200, uh, about 200 snaps in 2022 and was elite. He was the highest graded player on the entire defense. Bryce Huff. I'm if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I don't think I'm asking for Bryce Huff. I mean, maybe you watch the tape and you're like, okay, this guy's a stud, but I would be much more inclined to think that it's a fluke. I think that Bryce Huff is more, has more value in the eyes of the jets who are like, Hey, you know, he's been good for us. Yeah. We'll hold on to him because we think that, uh, or rather not even about holding on to him, but that, you feel better about the depth in your room because it's like, well, and it's Bryce Huff who really came along this past year too. Okay. Um, and then they got another 2020 pick who is kind of nothing, but it's a stacked edge rusher room and you can lose one guy out of there. And, and all the guys I mentioned are, uh, quite good. Carl Lawson is, he had the lowest grades of anybody last year, but, but he, he still was fine. Uh, I don't think the Packers won them, but I, I the, this is a little bit like your Preston Smith situation where it's like, yeah, I kind of want to hang on to him because he certainly makes the room better, but other teams are not interested in taking it off my hands. All right. But Michael Clemens, John Franklin Myers, and Jermaine Johnson, I think you can move one of those guys. I think they will move one of those guys uh, to the Packers in a trade. And... Uh, if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Michael Clemens or Jermaine Johnson because of the age. They're they're four years younger than John Franklin, Franklin Myers, who's, who's, is a very good player, certainly a good player, but Jermaine and Michael are, I mean, they're heading in their second season in the NFL. They were both very good last year. Um, they still have three years left on their rookie deals. Jermaine Johnson has a fifth year option you can pick up because he was a first round pick. I tweeted uh, just two days ago that Jermaine Johnson is like the guy that I want from the Packers in exchange for Aaron Rodgers. And I even said in that tweet, you can just have Jermaine or I mean, you can just have Aaron just straight up for Jermaine. I'm not going to ask you for a draft pick for 2023. I do want a conditional draft pick for if he plays in 2024, right? Give me a conditional first or maybe a conditional second maybe a second and change or something if he comes back in 2024. But if he only plays in 2023, then Jermaine Johnson for Aaron Rodgers straight up, that's the cost to go get him. I really loved Jermaine as a uh, draft prospect. Six foot five, 254 pounds. He had a 71.7 grade, um, not quite as high as Michael Clemens, 78.7. But Michael Clemens is a uh, wildly different 
value of player overall than Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine had a good rookie year. Michael had a better rookie year. But in terms of reaching their full potential, Jermaine's full potential is uh, sky high. Jermaine, I thought was going to go in the top 10 picks. He fell to the back of the first round. I think he went, I think he went in between Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt, if I remember correctly. Um, but he's a good player. He did not have a bad grade in any category. His lowest grade was in coverage. Okay. He's an edge rusher. I don't give a crap about his coverage. <clears throat> he's going to drop into coverage, you know, a couple times a year against the tight end. And that's about it. Pass rush was, was not great. Um, this is, uh, this is the, the, the one grade where he is significantly better than Michael Clemens, who was mostly just a, an incredible run defender on the edge last year. Jermaine, uh, was good as a run defender, but his, uh, pass rush, it wasn't good, but it was definitely better than Michael Clemens. Uh, he had a 64.6 pass rush grade, and he had a sub-10% pressure rate, which I don't love. He had 14 total pressures on 151 pass rush attempts. So if he had had one more pressure total on a season, he would have been right at 10%, and you would have said, okay, you know, that's the threshold. So he's just barely below the threshold, but... Uh, he was kind of up and down throughout the year. He he had really high highs, and then his lows were actually not that bad. His worst grade of the season was the final game of the season. Uh, they're already eliminated from the playoffs. Um, he played poorly the, the final two weeks of the year. They're eliminated. They're they're uh, crushed and and disappointed and devastated that they're not in the playoffs. He puts up a fifty point four grade against the Dolphins. 58.8 the previous week against Seattle. However, prior to that, he was coming off a three-game stretch. Actually, really a four-game stretch of steady improvement from 60.4 to 68.8 to 73.5 or 75.3, sorry, to 76.7. Um, and prior to that, he had a three-game climbing streak that culminated in a 68.6. And if you go back to weeks three and four, this is when he was just blowing everybody's doors off. He had uh, six solo tackles and an assist. He had one sack, no pressures. Looks like he was predominantly playing mostly just run defense snaps during that time. Uh, so not quite as disappointed about the uh, lack of pressures in the pass rush game. But he had an 86.4 Overall grade in week three, there was a 87.7 run defense grade. Um, and then the following, that week, uh, week three, this is against Cincinnati. His pass rush grade was poor. It was a 54, which is just a little bit before, below average. The following week against Pittsburgh, he had an 80 overall grade. Uh, his run defense dropped a little bit to 74.5. Still good. Um but his pass rush improved from 54 to a 67.6. All in all, uh, and considering that he played 312 snaps on the season, played all 17 games, I'm really not disappointed with, uh, with his season. 
And, you know, these grades reflect that, that they think he's a good run defender. He had 19 run stops on the season. Uh, quite good. That's on only 158 run defense snaps. So, uh, what is that? Like, uh, 15% of the time he's getting in the backfield and tackling the running back for a loss. So that's, that's phenomenal. I love that. Now, if we're talking about Michael Clemens, this is a dramatically different, uh, trip through his numbers. Okay. The thing you notice when you look at Michael Clemens is he was steady Eddie the entire year. Um, didn't really have like the high highs or, uh, that, that I feel that Jermaine Johnson had. Um, he did have an 86.2. That was his highest graded game of the season that came in week 12 against the Jets, uh, Jets, the Bears. He kind of consistently graded out near a 70. Yeah. Call it like 69 across the whole season. Um, consistently a good tackler. That's one difference between him and Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson usually was a good tackler and then his tackling, um, kind of fell off at the at the tail end of the year. Those last two games really did a poor job tackling. Those last two games, he, he didn't play well at all. Jermaine didn't. Uh, Michael Clemens really just didn't have a bad game all year. Uh, his worst stretch was weeks four and five. Uh, interestingly, one of those coincides with uh, Jermaine Johnson's second best game of the year. Clemens also had a sub 10% pressure rate on the season, just basically identical to Jermaine Johnson's. They're both at about like nine and a half percent. That's right where Michael Clemens is sitting at. He had 13 pressures on 145 pass rush attempts. He had three sacks on the season, same as uh, Jermaine Johnson. Run stops, again, an encouragingly high number. Uh, 16 run stops. Jermaine Johnson had 19. Both these guys were very, very productive. For the 2020, uh, wow, 2022 season, thank you, uh, Michael Clemens was slightly a better player than Jermaine Johnson. And you know what? Fourth round picks do routinely all the time end up being uh, better players than some first round picks. It's not crazy or uncommon. I think as I sit today, I would still demand Jermaine Johnson over Michael Clemens, but you know, Michael is worth taking a look at as well. Uh, for me, the complete uh, lack of any good grades as a pass rusher for Michael Clemens um, coupled with just the uh, dramatically lower ceiling athletically for, for Michael Clemens versus Jermaine Johnson. I'm asking for Jermaine, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, but again, Michael is a guy that I would, I would absolutely be interested in if the, the jets are like, listen, we are more than happy to find a, a good trade that works for you, but like Jermaine is our future and we can't get rid of him. Like he's completely off the board. I, I, I would at that point start talking about trade packages that include Michael Clemens. If I'm the, if I'm the uh, Packers. Now, again, there is John Franklin Myers who is, and has been for a while, a very good football player. I am much less 
uh, interested in John Michael, John Franklin Myers, and very much less inclined to think that the Jets would do it because of his contract. So he's a little bit older. He's already on. Let's see. How's this work? He's he's on his second contract. He was drafted by the Rams, got traded to the Jets. Jets gave him a second contract. He's 27 years old. This year, 2023, he has a base salary of $11.4 million. Um, And then there's some pennies here and there of little workout bonuses and stuff. But 11.4 is what the Packers are going to have to fit into their salary cap. $6 million of that is guaranteed. And then he's under contract for 2024 and 2025 for 13.3 and $14.3 million each. The big problem is the Jets have already pushed out some money. I haven't pushed that much out, I guess. Actually, if I had to bet, assuming that John Franklin Myers is not traded to the Packers, uh, they are going to heavily restructure his contract here and push out like nine and three quarter million dollars uh, into the future divided by three. So they're going to push six, call it six and a half million bucks from his contract. They're going to push it into uh, the future. Is that how that works? Is that how math works? No, it's, it's slightly more than that. It's, it's 6 million. They're going to push 6 million bucks out into the future to accommodate Aaron Rodgers' cap hit. Um, he's not that untradeable though. The cat, the, the jets will take on a 1.2 million dollar dead cap hit for him and they're going to free up 11.2 million dollars. So that actually, that actually helps. Uh, so, but again, I, I don't think the Packers want John Franklin Myers because I think that they want Jermaine Johnson or Michael Clemens, uh, much, much cheaper, much younger the kind of guys that you can build your defense around. All right, let's talk about safety. Shoot, I got to take an ad break. I'm going to take an ad break, and then we're going to talk about safety uh, because the Jets have one, two, three, four, five, six safeties, and five of them you would be interested in if you're the Packers. So uh, ad break right now, and then we're going to hit safety. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything. No, everything's PG. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of the uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 510 is declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, so Ashton Davis, a third-round pick in 2020 is the only safety on the roster that you're just not interested in at all because he stinks. 50.3 grade, uh, third-year player, looking more and more like a bust, not interested. Okay, so here are the other safeties. You got uh, Chuck Clark, a 2017 sixth-round pick. Will Parks, 2016 sixth-round pick. Tony Adams, 2022 undrafted free agent. This guy is interesting because uh, he had a 69.5 grade as a undrafted rookie. Now, most of that came from run defense. He had a 83.7 run defense grade. That came on just 56 run defense snaps. So kind of a small sample size, not minuscule, but not a great sample size either. Uh, for reference, Jordan Whitehead, who we haven't had touched on yet, but Jordan Whitehead had 469 run defense snaps. Will Parks had 96. Chuck Clark had 402. Okay. Jordan Whitehead is the other guy. Uh, there is also Brandon Eccles. Well, let me do Jordan Whitehead. Jordan Whitehead. I was still doing Tony Adams. Tony Adams. He's that undrafted guy for undrafted rookie. Uh, his pass rush grade, so none of the safeties have good pass rush grades. Tony's was the lowest at 41.7. He was in on just one pass rush attempt, so I don't put any stock into that grade because it's a one-snap sample size, so who cares? Uh, coverage grade, 61.8. As you're looking at these safeties, uh, Chuck Clark had a 61 coverage grade. Will Parks had a 56 coverage grade. Tony Adams had a 61 coverage grade. Ashton Davis, who I already said nobody would want, is a 57 coverage grade. Your last two guys are Jordan Whitehead and Brandon Eccles. Jordan Whitehead had a 70.6 and Brandon Eccles had a 67.8. So from a pure coverage standpoint, these are the two best uh, safeties on the roster. <clears throat> Jordan Whitehead played 1,129 snaps. Uh, he was the number two safety on the team. Chuck Clark had 1,149 snaps, so 20 more than Jordan did. Jordan Whitehead, uh, coverage 
catch, 651 snaps in coverage. Brandon Eccles, the sixth round 2021 pick. That's funny. In their safety room, they have three sixth round picks, 2016, 2017, and 2021. Three sixth round picks all in their safety room. That's, I don't know, just a funny coincidence. Uh, these two guys, definitely different body types. They're both five foot 10, Whitehead and Eccles. Uh, Whitehead is 198 pounds. Eccles is 175 pounds. The big problem here with Eccles is he only played 69 snaps. So he's got the higher grades like Jordan Whitehead, uh, but just not the snaps. So outside of Chuck Clark and Jordan Whitehead, the most snaps at safety go to Will Parks and Tony Adams. And I, and I am intrigued by Tony Adams, but undrafted free agent rookie played uh, 118 snaps. It's a small sample size for a rookie who didn't get drafted. I'm kind of out on Chuck Clark. He's 28 years old. Um, wasn't that good. I mean, he would be, you know, you throw just about anybody who has an S next to their name onto the Packers roster, and it kind of by default makes the Packers defense better than it currently is. They have essentially no safeties on the roster. They got uh, Darnell Savage, but the last time we saw him, they had moved him to slot corner. So is he a safety? Uh, you tell me. I, I just paused recording to go refresh Twitter and see if there was Aaron Rodgers uh, news. Mm. Got to quit the whistle with this uh, water I've been sipping. Um, And somehow I got stuck watching some Futurama clips. I really feel like I was on a roll with this uh, Jets defensive roster evaluation thing. Got to try and get back into it. <sighs> Futurama is just so funny, though. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm kind of out on Chuck Clark. I mean, you know, I'd take him over the nobody we have. Um, uh, interested, I guess, in Tony Adams and his extremely small uh, snap size. But Jordan Whitehead is the guy. If you can pry him away from the Jets, I don't know if you can. He's under contract in 2023 for $6.75 million. Um, the Jets are going to eat some dead cap to move him. About $3 million. Wait, let me change this. Yeah, about $3 million. He has a total cap hit in 2023 of $10.2 million. But $3 million of that is... Uh, going to hit the Jets, and then he's got $500,000 in uh, game roster bonuses. Uh, Jordan Whitehead is two years younger than Chuck Clark. He's 26 years old, still a nice young guy. He's, of course, on his second deal. He was drafted, let's see, uh, uh, he's, I guess he's only, he's only one full year into his second deal. Didn't get a big contract from the Jets you know he was drafted by the Buccaneers played four years for them and then did not get a big second contract from the Bucks went to the Jets for one year he's there uh, a second year now and now that we've kind of gotten that out of the way 6.75 million bucks for his services in 2023 I think you kind of need a guy like that you know um on your roster again, 66.1 overall grade is not great. 
Um, doesn't offer very much as a run defender. He's a little bit better than what we got out of, I mean, substantially better, but not like a fantastic player, but he's substantially better than what we got out of uh, Darnell or Amos last year. And if nothing else, he is much more consistently dependable in coverage. Let's look at his, his full stats here. So he did give up 283 yards last year. It seemed like there were a bunch of games where he gave up roughly 30 yards total. Um, and then a bunch where he gave up zero. Well, a handful where he gave up zero. About six games? Five, five games where he gave up zero yards. And then most of the rest of the season, he gave up about 30 yards per game. Uh, 124 yards after, given up after the catch. Uh, the longest reception he allowed all year was 32 yards. He only gave up two touchdowns. He had two interceptions, five pass breakups, allowed a passer rating of 85.5. Nice low passer rating. Um, he was flagged two times, but didn't actually get penalized for either of those. You know, like uh, they didn't enforce it or, you know, it was declined, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and uh, let's see, total coverage he had. One really bad game in week one last year against Baltimore. Uh, I would be willing to bet that he was on Mark Andrews. Oh, that was the game that killed Darnell Savage. <laughs> killed Savage's career. Uh, Jordan bounced back. Um, he did have a crummy game the second week. Keep in mind, this is his first year in the Jets scheme. So the first two weeks was not good in their scheme. Then in week three, he had a 69.5. And he kind of never looked back until... Week 11. So weeks three through uh, their bye week, which was week 10, he was pretty good. Uh, week 11 through basically the end of the season, he played about a, about a tier below where he had been playing prior to the bye. Now, big negative for him. Tackling ain't great. He had one, two, three, four, five really bad tackling games. Uh, call it six, and then another, another three where he just had a average tackling grade. But then he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, where he was in the low to mid eighties uh for tackling. He did have seventeen missed tackles on the season. That's freaking awful. That's disgusting. I'm just curious what Amos and Savage had. So, 8 for Amos, 12 for Savage, 17, freaking 17 for Jordan Whitehead. That is a, a horrific missed tackle number. 15.6% of the time he missed a tackle. So, that sucks. Uh, his run defense grade isn't good. His tackling grade isn't good. It's both sub-50, just barely below 50, but sub-50. Jordan Whitehead... I, I think if you brought Amos back and you have Darnell Savage and then you added uh, Jordan Whitehead, I think I would probably put roughly equal odds on Amos and Whitehead for who would have the best season of the three. And I probably would expect Darnell to probably have the worst season of the three, but I think all three would be likely to be close in terms of um, how well they played and how well they grayed out. So I don't really want Jordan Whitehead. The problem is, <clears throat> if you're going to get a safety, 
he's the best safety available on the Jets roster to you. They deal some really good cornerbacks, but I don't know that I love the idea of asking for a cornerback and then switching him over to safety. And also, I don't know that they would do it. I don't think the the Jets would give up a corner because they got three corners they really like. Sauce Gardner, Michael Carter, the cornerback, and then DJ Reed. And they played all three of them a lot. I think they want all three of them out there. And I don't, I don't know that they feel that they have another corner that they can just throw out there. They got, eh, they got a fifth round pick, a seventh round pick, and two undirected free agents. So that's, like, that's it. Um, so you know, if we're talking about trying to get probably one of their corners away and bring it to our already corner heavy team. And then convert either one of our corners or one of their corners into a safety. I just don't love it. I don't love it. Side note, I don't – well, we won't get into it. But the, the Rasul to safety thing I don't like either. So if you're talking about uh, players that you can get back from the Jets, it's Jermaine Johnson, it's Michael Clemens, and it's Jordan Whitehead. It's, it's those three guys, and that's kind of it. And looking on the uh, the offensive side, assuming that you're not going to ask for a running back, kind of the only guy who makes any sense would be one of their tight ends. All right, so they got – really, they have three tight ends. I don't count 2021 undrafted free agent Kenny Yaboa. So they got three guys. They got uh, CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin, and, and then uh, – Second year, what, third round pick? Third round pick, yeah, Jeremy Ruckert. Those are your three guys. Um, and the reason tight end is a maybe is because the rumor is that Rodgers would want Tunyon to go with him to the Jets, in which case you have too many mouths to feed in the tight end room. So would the Jets be willing to offload a tight end to the Packers who desperately need a tight end? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Now, do we want any of these guys? Uh, the only guys that they would be moving would be Jeremy Ruckert or Tyler Conklin. And Ruckert only played 48 snaps last year. Very small sample size. Couldn't really get on the field behind Conklin and Uzama. <sighs> Uh, Conklin led the team with 859 snaps at tight end. Uzama had 527, but did, wasn't he injured? Isn't that why he has low number of snaps? No. No, he just kind of sucked. <laughs> he was kind of bad all year. He had four good games. Now, one of his good games came against uh, Detroit. He had a 92.7 grade, 93.3 receiving grade. He had two touchdowns. He had two targets, and both of them went for touchdowns. So that's why he had such a high grade. Other than that, he sucked last year. So this is probably the guy the Jets would want to offload. <laughs> He's under contract for 2023 and 2024. Um, he cost $3.5 million this year. So that would be nice for the Packers, but you could see the Jets being like, come on, for 3.5, let's keep him. Uh, and then $8 million bucks in 2024. I just, I don't want Uzama. Uh, I don't. 
I know he's a big name because of his one one single good season with the uh, Bengals, but he's been in the league since 2015. He's a fifth-round pick. You never liked him or wanted him prior to his one good season with the Bengals. So uh, Tyler Conklin, a very similar situation. He's two, call it 285 uh, $285 million in 2023, and then $6.1 million in 2024. Also kind of just sucked all year. He also had another funky game where he had a 91 grade. His game against New England, he had two touchdowns in that game on 11 targets. He only hauled it. He he missed five of those. I can't judge him that hard because he didn't have a quarterback all year, but. 11 targets, 6 receptions, 2 touchdowns. That was kind of his only great game of the year. And then he had a 73, a 69, a 76, a 75, and a 64. And that's it. Every other grade he had was uh, below average. <clears throat> Not super interested in Tyler Conklin. Now, Conklin, let me just make sure this is accurate. No, I was checking. I, I thought he, man, he's only been with the Jets for one year. It feels like he's been there for a while. I mean, he's, I knew he had been a Viking, but I thought he had been with the Jets for a few years. So, the, you know, the question that I had was, and none of these guys are there anymore. <laughs> One of them went to the Vikings. I forgot about that. But we have the Jet, the, the Jets old tight ends coach. So John Dunn was the tight ends coach for the Jets under uh, uh, Crazy Eyes, Adam Gase. Gase gets fired. And so the whole offensive staff all gets fired with him. They bring in Robert Sala, and then he wants to bring in all his own guys. So the Packers pick up John Dunn as a an analyst for the 2021 season. Then at the end of that season, Jason uh, – no, not Jason. Jason Vrabel? Justin Outen, thank you. Jason Vrabel is our wide receivers coach. Justin Outen, who I don't think has ever been very good but whatever. He followed Hackett to Denver. Uh, Hackett kept trying to poach guys from our, uh, from our coaching staff. He tried to take Stenovich. He tried to take Butkus. He tried to take um, Vrabel. Packers blocked all those. Then he's like, well, what about Justin Outen? And the Packers like, fine, take him. <laughs> and then they made John Dunn uh, the tight ends coach. Now, John Dunn has never really gotten – um, fantastic uh, tight end production out of any of his rooms. Having said that, he's never had competent tight ends to work with. You look at all the tight ends he's worked with in the past, and they were like McDonald's employees who had been the, in the league for kind of a while, had never been good, had always been trash. Then they go work with John Dunn in New York and become average tight ends. Then... When Dunn left New York and those tight ends left, they went elsewhere, places like Minnesota, and turned into just complete dumpster fire, horrific players again. So if he's taking crappy players and getting average play and grades out of them, what if we gave him, you know, an actual good (laughs) tight end or tight ends to work with? We're going to go over an hour on this podcast, aren't we? Oh, well. This is important. I got to get to this. This is the uh, this is the main thing I want to talk about in this on this episode. Sorry, we're going over. You can turn it off if you don't want to keep listening. But what if we gave um, 
John Donne actual good tight ends to work with. It's kind of like that uh, parable in the Bible where uh, there's like a rich master who leaves town. He's got three servants and he gives them all some money before he leaves town and he gives them different amounts. And there's uh, instructions from the master of, you know, take this money and grow it while I'm gone. And so, you know, one of the servants he gave a lot of money to and that servant went and took that large amount of money and turned it into a humongous amount of money. And then there was a guy who was given not very much money and, but he still grew it into a serviceable amount of money that you're, you know, he still doubled the guy's investment, right? Uh, I think, I think like the first guy was given five bags of gold. The second guy was given two bags of gold. All right. They both doubled the investment. Then the third guy is like the useless lazy servant and he's given one bag of gold and he goes and buries it in a field and just keeps it safe. Then the master comes back and all three of the servants are like, Hey, here's how much money we made you. The guy who got five bags is like, Hey, now I get 10 bags and the master's thrilled. Great. Yeah. I gave you a, a first round pick and you made him an even better player. I'm super proud of you. Uh, then the second guy is like, Hey, you gave me two bags of gold. I turned it into four bags of gold. Hey, fantastic. Um, I gave you, uh, you know, kind of crappy players. You know, I gave you a seventh round pick and an undrafted guy and you got average NFL tight end production out of him. I'm happy with you. And then there's the guy who buried the money and didn't do anything with it. And he's like, Hey, at least it's not worse than it was. <laughs> and, the, and, uh, and the master is super furious with him. That's how I feel about, uh, you know, guys like, uh, uh, Luke Getze, <laughs> Luke Getze. We give him, uh, you know, uh, Tim Boyle and Jordan Love and Kurt Bankert and none of those guys show any development at all whatsoever under Luke Getze. And then Getze leaves and we get another guy in and all of a sudden the quarterbacks we all have or we have all suddenly get better miraculously the second Getze leaves. Anyways, so in this analogy, John Dunn is, is the second servant, right? He gave him the crappy players and he turned him into – uh, average players, right? So what happens if you say, all right, you did a great job. We're going to give you something better to work with. We're going to draft Michael Mayer for you because the Packers, I don't think are going to just only get a player like they're, I, I, I think they want an edge rusher. I think they maybe want a safety. Maybe they take a, a tight end from the jets. All right. It, some combination of something therein. If you take uh, a defensive player or two, I don't think you can justify also going defense in the draft. Our offense was horrific last year for so much of the year, and it's because you had clear, obvious holes that needed to be filled. And then by the end of the year, eh, you had kind of band-aided some of those holes a little bit, but it still wasn't great. And it still fell apart when you needed it to hold together against the lions. I think you come out of this Aaron Rodgers trade with pick 13 and a young player. Maybe it's Michael Clemens. We'll call it pick 13 and Michael Clemens. <sighs> You're holding picks 13 and 15 in this draft class. And uh, you pick up a, veteran safety somewhere, maybe bring back Amos 
and you sign whoever. I mean, who, who are the free agent safeties out there right now? Uh, Jesse Bates, Jordan Poyer. They're both going to be ridiculously expensive. Jimmy Ward. I mean, he's 32 years old. Adrian Amos is out there. I mean, I, I think we'll make us. I, I think we probably try and bring Amos back. Uh, because there was there was uh, something on Twitter. Uh, Razul and Adrian were talking on Twitter, and I don't know. It just sounded like they viewed Adrian as still being part of the team. Uh, Devin Devin McCourty just retired. Why is he on this list? He's thirty six years old, anyways. Uh, Von Bell. Wow, he's a free agent. I I might kick the tires on Von Bell. He made six million dollars in twenty twenty two. Oh man, this might be it. I mean. The problem is there's going to be other teams who are in on him and, and might make him offers. But, I mean, Von Bell is good. Um, I think at $6 million, I think he's a bit underpaid. Uh, Jonathan Abram for the Seahawks. Uh, there, there's options out there. There are. I mean, there's some old dudes. LaMarcus Joyner. There's, there's guys out there who are available. Jabril Peppers is still out there, 28 years old. Made $2 bucks last year. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. DeAndre Houston Carson, 30. Why are all these safeties so old? Are they just corners who switched to safety when they couldn't run anymore? Hey, here's Dallin Levitt. I didn't realize Dallin Levitt was 29 years old. Holy crap. I thought he was a young guy. Don't you think of Dallin Levitt as a young guy? He's 29 years old. I didn't know that. He's 29? That can't be right. He's... Uh, undrafted in 2018. He's 28 and three quarters years old. He's only been in the league for four years. He went, he's 25 when he got in the league. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. How do you do that? I mean, like Hendon Hooker is like 26 or something, but he's also not an NFL caliber quarterback. Anyways, we're getting into the weeds. There's safeties out there. You can go get. All right. I don't think you're drafting a safety at pick 13 and, and pick 15. I, maybe you are, but it's uh, it's not one of the the top premium value positions. Um, I have heard from all the uh, draft experts that this is not a great safety class. Uh, Brian Gudikins was asked about you know what positions he liked in this draft class. He singled out tight end as one of the positions he really liked. I think he also said edge rusher. I think he did. Tight end and an edge rusher. Hang on. I tweeted it. Let me go back and look at my own tweets. Hey, you. Tight end, edge, and cornerback. <sighs> Freaking cornerback. I just don't want to draft a cornerback in the first round. I just I just don't want to. Oh, I don't want to. We're going to, but I don't want to. Okay. Um, so you get picks 13 and 15 in this draft, right? You got a Michael Clemens back in the Aaron Rodgers trade. And uh, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you grab one of those young safeties from the Jets and then you sign a free agent vet from the list I just read. And I read like 20% of it. Like it's a long list of free agent safeties. Like there's, there is safety help out there in the NFL right now. And it doesn't have, does not have to be Jesse Bates and his, you know, 18 million bucks a year or whatever he wants. Uh, there's, there's competent safety help out there. You got to swing for offense. And there's only three positions that would make sense. You're not taking running back. Uh, none of the good quarterbacks are falling to you at pick 13. All right. I, I have heard people say that four of the top five picks are probably going to be 
uh, quarterbacks. I think I would certainly agree that three of them will. I don't know four. But I think three of the top five picks are going to be quarterback. And then uh, I think Will Levis is the fourth quarterback taken. And I don't think that he makes it past the Raiders. They pick at number seven. They don't have a quarterback. Uh, I think they'll be in on, you know, uh, maybe they try and get Jimmy G. Maybe they try and pry Jameis Winston away from the Saints. Who's the other quarterback who's out there? Shoot. Who is it? Oh, Baker Mayfield. All right. They they probably get one of those guys. But also, I think they draft Will Levis at pick seven. If not Levis to the Raiders at seven, uh, the Seahawks and the Lions, I think, are both going to be decent-ish teams for the next several years, a.k.a. out of reach of drafting one of the top quarterbacks again. And although I don't like Will Levis at all, sure sounds like a lot of NFL teams do. Maybe the Seahawks or Lions take a swing at Will Levis and try and turn him into the franchise guy going forward. Atlanta Falcons, they have Desmond Ritter. I don't think they would take uh, Will Levis, but I think that they should consider it because uh, Ritter is not an early pick, and you don't know that he's the guy going forward. Uh, Bears aren't taking a quarterback. Eagles aren't taking a quarterback. Titans at 11? Come on, if Will Levis is available at 11... You don't think the Titans are going to are gonna try and take him? All right. So by pick 13, those top four quarterbacks are all gone. Stroud and Young and Richardson are all going to be gone by pick four Indianapolis Colts. I just, I don't see any way that those three, any of those three make it past. Unless the Colts just happen to be more in love with Will Levis than somebody else. And I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe. They're not taking a quarterback at... Uh, 13 or 15. They're not taking a running back that early. Even Bijan, although I would love it. You're not taking a guard. You're not taking a center. You're taking a wide receiver. And I think you're taking a tight end. I don't think you can justify not doing that. Unless you just don't think the wide receivers or tight ends are good enough. So you got, in my mind, you got uh, six, maybe call it seven guys that you are trying to grab two of in those two picks. All right. Uh, at tight end, you are taking Michael Mayer or Darnell Washington or Dalton Kincaid. I, th- I think you're taking one of those three in those two picks. And, and I think it just comes down to which of those three guys is your favorite. If you're Brian Goodkunst. And Darnell Washington makes a ton of sense when you consider what Brian Goodkins likes. He just falls in love with and adores freak athleticism. And Darnell Washington has that in spades. Unbelievable athlete. He's like seven foot nine, three hundred and seventy pounds, and then runs a four two two. Okay, I'm exaggerating on all three, but he's I was talking to my sister earlier today. Because she asked me if we had a good tight ends coach, and, and so we had a long conversation about John Dunn's track record. And we were talking about the tight ends in this draft class, and she was not really familiar with the concept of floors and ceilings for draft prospects, which was, you know, it meant that I got, I got to have a fun conversation explaining how that works, obviously. And I, I it helped me kind of formulate a little bit more of my opinion 
on the differences between Mayer and Darnell Washington. And I said, you know, if you're comparing the two guys, you know, Darnell Washington's ceiling is in the attic and his floor is in the basement. Um, and then Michael Mayer, I think that his floor is, you know, around your belly button and his ceiling is about a foot above your head. <laughs> just when you compare like the athleticism, like Michael Mayer is just a much, much more limited athlete than Darnell Washington. I really have no idea about Dalton Kincaid because we just have less information about him from the uh, combine. So I can use the eyeball test and say, yeah, I think Dalton Kincaid is a more athletic prospect than Michael Mayer is, but I, I you know how much, more athletic uh, i i don't know because we just don't have the concrete numbers if you didn't know dalton kincaid didn't participate in any of the drills at the combine per mike garofolo kincaid suffered a small fracture in his back in the final game of the 2022 season that will prevent him from participating in drills at the combine garofolo adds that orthopedist robert watkins who's overseen kincaid's recovery no, he said Robert Watkins, like we're supposed to know who it is, determined that surgery was not necessary and Kincaid should be fully cleared in the coming weeks. <clears throat> Daniel, uh, Daniel, not Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah said this will be a deep tight end class, but believes Kincaid is the best of the bunch. Uh, in his latest mock draft, so this is interesting. I, I'm not reading this on a Packers site. I'm reading it on a Jaguars site. It says in his latest mock draft, Jeremiah has the 2022 first team all pack 12 tight end going to the Green Bay Packers at number 15. Um, and here's what he thinks the Jaguars are going to do instead. So <clears throat> he did not participate in any of the on-field drills. Mike Garofolo, he describes Kincaid as the top tight end and number 10 overall prospect. So, you know, kind of feels like there's just tremendous upside with Kincaid. Um, if he is in fact more athletic than Michael Mayer, because they both graded out just extraordinarily well. And, you know, I had the pleasure of watching Michael Mayer at uh, Notre Dame. I also had the pleasure of watching um, Ohio state defend him and they did a good job. They had a good plan and their plan was double him the whole game. <laughs> they sandwiched him with a linebacker and a defensive back, uh, frequently a safety and he was extremely limited and didn't get much done in that game compared to what he normally does. And I think I would love to see NFL defenses doing that. I would love to see them doubling Michael Mayer all game long in green and gold uh, uniform. Um, because then you send Christian Watson streaking down the field in single coverage and just murder them all day long. So please do double Michael Mayer all day long, or you can double Christian Watson and then Michael Mayer will eat you up or Brian Gutekunst. Maybe he's going to go with Dalton Kincaid. Maybe he's going to go with Darnell Washington. I would say just based on Goody's type that although Michael Mayer does meet all the uh, uh, benchmarks that you want to see. Um, he does have over an eight RAS. It's kind of just barely, it's like an 8.08. .08. He clearly has functional tight end athleticism. He doesn't have, have a uh, super freak tight end athleticism the way Darnell Washington does. And, you know, 
I, I guess where does Dar- the Dalton Kincaid rank in between those two guys? That's the question. Uh, we know just from production and from grades that Kincaid put out, you know, basically about the same work that uh, Mayer did against, I would say, much worse competition, but still, you know, respectable. Put it this way. If I was the GM, I would be drafting Michael Mayer. Goody is the GM, so I think it's more likely he takes Darnell Washington. And then maybe, you know, somewhere in the middle, Dalton Kincaid is like the happy medium. So I think you're taking one of those three. And then I think you're taking a wide receiver. And the wide receiver class has been described as having okay depth, but a real thin amount of top-end talent. And I think that there's three guys maybe four who you are seriously considering as, you know, a a wide receiver you would take at pick 13 or 15 Jackson Smith and Jigba. I probably have talked about on this podcast a ton. Certainly have talked a lot about him on Twitter and have talked my poor family to death about how much I love him. I see just a lot of Justin Jefferson in the guy and he's, He's got just elite level twitchy athleticism. He he doesn't have that um, that top end burner speed, and some teams are concerned about how often he was chased down and caught from behind in college. But he is wicked dangerous in the short area of the field. Uh, he can play on the outside. There's no reason he can't. I think JSN, uh, in my opinion, is the best wide receiver in this draft class, but he's a specific type of wide receiver. And I think that that specific type is kind of the Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams type. All right. Does not have the Christian Watson, DK Metcalf, just murder you athleticism, but just absolutely a finesse magician with his feet. Um, really sure hands, incredible release off the line of scrimmage, great route runner. I think you pair him with Christian Watson and it's murder. Now, maybe instead of Jackson Smith and Jigba, you pair Jalen Hyatt, who has more of that, uh, top end burner speed and is also a good route runner. All right. Maybe you pair Jalen Hyatt. Um, you know, despite the fact that his, athleticism overall and and uh, agility and all that is not as good as JSN's. You pair that and Michael Mayer and Christian Watson, and you're stressing defenses in all these different ways, the same way as if you're doing uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that that is perfectly acceptable as well. The other two guys to consider, all right, I think you got four wide receivers you're seriously considering. It's those two guys. It's uh, Quentin Johnston, who, you know, he, he, he's, um, you could use the word raw, I guess. Like he's, he's a body catcher, not a hands catcher. Just some unrefinedness to his game overall, but he's got the athleticism. He's got the build. He can box you out. He's your typical, you know, X receiver, you know, boundary receiver. Like he's, he's just kind of the dude, but he needs a lot of coaching up. And, you know, the, so the Packers are going to have to, do some work to get him where he needs to be. And I, I would still be excited about having him. 
and and if we took him ahead of JSN and Jalen Hyatt, I'm not even going to say that. I'd be disappointed by that. I think Quentin Johnson has a ton to offer. And if the Packers think that his ceiling is the best, then, then, you know, trust the process. And then of course the other guy is, uh, Zay Flowers. Definitely a distant fourth for me. Um, RAS is certainly lower than what the Packers like or have had success with. He's got a seven, what is it? Seven, four, seven. Where did it go? I just had it on my screen. Seven, six, six. All right. That's sub eight. That's, that's not what you're looking for. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not the big Zay Flowers guy, but some people are. I kind of like Rasheed Rice better than Zay Flowers, but I don't view either one of them as first round picks. I'm just saying like, it's, it's, these are the other guys that maybe you consider. And, and I think it would be viewed as like a huge reach and like a, you know, way too early to take those guys. But I, I also trust Goody, you know? But the, 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 here's the thing. The Packers want to load up Jordan Love with some weapons. This is not a tank and rebuild year. This is an evaluation year for the guy that you're hoping is the dude and the face of the franchise. All right. That's what the Packers want Jordan Love to be. 2023, and then you are going to pick up his fifth year option. So you have him for 2024. 2023 and 2024, Jordan Love is uh, in an extended two-year job interview, right? And you want to give him every possible opportunity to succeed. They're going to load him up with playmakers, all right? First of all, your, your receiving room on the whole is completely barren. I like Christian Watson. I like Romeo Dobbs, but you need more than two receivers and you're hoping that the scratch off tickets of uh Samori Toure and what's the other guy's name like Chestnut or something Chester oh Melton all right in in my head Melton and Chester sounded similar <laughs> whatever I'm crazy uh <laughs> Bo Melton you're hoping that uh the scratch off tickets of Bo Melton and uh Jeff Cotton and Samori Toure turn into one good player. And statistically, it's unlikely that any of those three become a good player for the Packers. But you're hoping that you find an Alan Lazard in there. But you got Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. That's all you have. And then you got some young bucks who, again, you're hoping you can find a guy out of those three. And I, even if it is unlikely to happen ever, I think it's even more unlikely that's going to happen in 2023 specifically in just, you know, year two for these guys who couldn't do anything in year one. I think year two is not a realistic timeline for them to break out. You need more bodies in the room. And yeah, the Packers are going to go sign some bum veteran of the quality of Devin Funchess and Sammy Watkins. They're going to go find some schmuck and, you know, pay him a, $1.75 million to come play for the Packers, whatever. But you don't have any tight ends. You don't have enough wide receivers to go in 11 personnel on the freaking football field. You need more guys. You're going to have two first-round picks here. I think you need to spend one on tight end and one on wide receiver. And I think the Packers want to do something like that. Now, maybe there is a defensive player who drops into their laps who they 
can't pass up on. Or maybe Paris Johnson or uh, Broderick Jones to the kind of the only two real offensive tackles in this draft class who would be any kind of worth going that early because Peter Skronsky is a guard. Maybe one of those two guys drops in your lap and you're like, you know what? We need a freaking tackle. Despite the fact that we have David Bakhtiari for two years or you know, guaranteed for one year. And we have Zach Tom and we have Elton Jenkins and we maybe are bringing Yash Nyan back. We got to take one of these guys. I get it. And I, and I would not be disappointed with that either because tackle is an offensive position. You're still helping the offense. But I think you need to spend both these position, uh, picks on offense unless the guy who drops into your lap you really think is Aaron Donald or uh, – um, Shoot, who are the good edge rushers in the world? TJ Watt. You know, if you really think that one of those guys has dropped into your lap, yeah, obviously you got to take one of them. But outside of that, I think you need to load up the pass catchers. We got some good running backs we like. We have nothing at tight end. We have uh, one and three quarters wide receivers that we feel really confident in and that we think are realistically going to be nice contributors in 2023. But you need more. And you got to load up Jordan Love with these playmakers. Think about the preseason games in uh, in 2022. Drops galore. It was so difficult to evaluate Jordan Love because he'd make these, these pinpoint throws, and then the ball would get dropped. And you're like, okay, that's on the wide receiver, right? Like, it's got to be, right? And then the regular season starts and Rodgers is throwing the balls and, and they're still dropping them. And you're like, okay, yeah. So back in the preseason, that really was the receiver is sucking, right? It's not Jordan Love. Like, like Jordan was really good, right? But it's hard to evaluate. And Rodgers went to bat for him. Uh, Aaron Rodgers went to bat for Jordan Love after the preseason games, you know, talking about like, I, I can't even remember the exact quote, but basically saying that Love's teammates were letting him down and that those drops were, you know, something that happened to Jordan caused by the receivers and not something that Jordan was causing by the way he was playing. But you only have two seasons here to make a decision on Jordan Love. Two seasons to evaluate him. And really you'd like to know after one season because you have to pick up his fifth-year option before the 2023 season begins. The deadline is May 1st. you got to pick that up. Tua Tungabailoa's fifth-year option already got picked up. Joe Burrow is expected to have a new contract in place before the season. And I would say, I think, before May 1st when they are forced to pick up his fifth-year option. I I think they'll have that new contract in place, making him the highest paid quarterback in the league. But then, you know, 2024, you owe Jordan, uh, what, $20.4 million for his fifth year option. It's expensive. Be nice to be able to, you know, hand him a new contract and say, hey, that guaranteed money, that guaranteed 20.4, you're going to get it. Uh, here it is in the form of a nice signing bonus and we're going to lower your cap hit for the next few years. And we're going to lock you up for five years, buddy, or four years, whatever. And you're going to be the guy going forward and you're only going to cost us like 11 million or whatever it is 
against the cap here in 2024 because we're still trying to, you know, do X, Y, Z with our salary cap and with our roster and build and stuff. And you're a nice, young, cheap, not cheap, but cheaper than Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. Cheaper quarterback that we can build around going forward for the next few years. You'd love to be able to do that after one year instead of saying, well, I don't know. Some good, some not so good in, in, in year one of him as a starter. So I guess we're going to play this year out on the fifth year option. You know, it's just this guaranteed money. We got to just pay it to him and, and really hope that in year two, things are finally clicking with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. And, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think who Des Bryant and Jeff Cotton and, you know, whatever, uh, sixth round pick we spend on wide receiver in 2023. Let's not do that. Let's load him up with talent around him right now. And I, you know what? A lot of people who love Rogers and have been begging for the team to get more help around him these last couple of years, they're going to be upset. They're going to be like, how you're doing this for Jordan love, but not for Aaron. (sighs) It's a different situation. It is. And I'm not going to go back and relitigate whether the Packers should have gotten more help for Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to relitigate that. I'm not. But we are going to talk about the importance of getting an accurate and full, complete assessment of Jordan Love in 2023 and then potentially in 2024 as well, if you still feel like you need more information on him before you can hand him a contract. You got to know what you have in him because if he sucks, then next year we need to draft a freaking quarterback and start developing that guy. And it'll suck because you will have guaranteed money for this fifth year option. that You got to pay to Jordan love, but that's the corner you painted yourself into when you didn't let Jordan love start any games in 2022, despite our five game losing streak and Rogers having a, broken mangled finger in his throwing hand. Oh, no, no, no. We couldn't possibly put Aaron on IR for a few weeks and let Jordan Love get some evaluation time. Can't do that. We have to keep playing broken-handed Aaron Rodgers and watching him miss wide-open guys and then ask what's going on here. Well, you know, his finger just isn't what it needs to be. Okay, then go on IR. Put him on IR. If his hand's mangled, if he can't throw an accurate pass because his finger's broken, put him on IR. Helps everybody. Helps Aaron not embarrass himself. Helps Aaron heal faster so he can get out there and get back to what he needs to be, which is, you know, Aaron Rodgers, not broken-handed Aaron Rodgers. And it helps the team evaluate Jordan Love. It helps Jordan Love get better because he has playing time. Mm. That's the corner you painted yourself into because you refused to let... Jordan get any playing time in 2022 is that you have to pick up his fifth year option and you don't have a choice about it. You have to do it. And so there is guaranteed money, $20.4 million of it in 2024 for Jordan love, whether he's amazing or horrific in 2023, but you need to not have questions (laughs) in 2023 about is what we're watching a result of Jordan love making mistakes or is it a result of us not giving Jordan love enough resources? 
you can't have that question in your mind. You have to know that you put enough pieces around him that you are getting the full complete picture of Jordan Love. And if he's good, you're, you are a contender in the NFC. If you have Christian and Romeo and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and a tight end like Dalton Kincaid and a Jackson Smith and Jigba or Jalen Hyatt or Quentin Johnson, whoever, if you have these pieces and you got four reliable targets that you can be throwing at and you got great tight ends and you got a good offensive line. I mean, sure, sure. Draft a, a second round tight end and, and use a, you know, your, one of your first round picks on Paris Johnson or Broderick Jones. I think one of those guys is going to be available for you at pick 13. I'm sure they are. And if your evaluation is either one of those guys are just better football players than any of these tight ends or any of these wide receivers, do it. Pull the trigger, get a tackle. Let's fix this freaking offensive line. But then you still have to surround Jordan with pieces. Spend your other first round pick. Not on a freaking defensive tackle. We have two first round defensive tackles on our line. And then you got TJ Slayton, fifth round pick, who's a, this big old boy who plays good football, is a reliable dude. I don't, I don't get, people are talking about, well, the, you know, the defensive line isn't great. So we need to spend, you know, another first round pick and get another, uh, interior defender. BS. We don't need three first round defensive tackles on the team. If you can't get good production out of the two we got, then get a new defensive line coach. I don't care what it takes, but we're not, we're not continuing to neglect the offense to get a freaking defensive tackle. Go get Jermaine Johnson or Michael Clemens from the Jets. You have every right to demand something like that in exchange for Aaron Rodgers and get pick 13 and spend 13 and 15 on offensive difference makers to surround Jordan Love. I don't care if it's Paris Johnson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Darnell Washington, Jalen Hyatt. I don't care. Bunch of great options. But pick two of them. Because the most important question Facing the Packers, the second the Aaron Rodgers deal is done, the second it's over, the most important question for everybody at 1265 Lombardi is how good is Jordan Love and is he the guy or isn't he? And if he isn't, you got to start finding that guy. But you're not going to know unless you actually put good teammates around Jordan, give him some good options, can't have, you know, Freaking Amari Rogers out there and, uh, Sammy Watkins and, and Al Lazard dropping passes and Samori Toure fumbling. We can't have this crap. All right. If there's mistakes on the offense, if the offense sucks, it needs to be evident that the only guy who's not pulling his weight is the quarterback because the quarterback is the guy we need to be evaluating. We like Christian. We like Romeo. You need more than two wide receivers. You need some tight ends. We have no tight ends. We got Josiah Aguara. Love him, but we need more than that. Goody said he loves the tight ends in this class. 
He said he loves the edge rushers and the cornerbacks. I couldn't give a crap about cornerback. I, I really couldn't. We have too many cornerbacks right now. Like seriously, we're 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 trying to move Rasul to safety because we can't find a home for both Rasul and Eric Stokes on the field at the same time. Don't get me another freaking cornerback. I don't care about cornerback. The defense sucks. It always sucks. It always has sucked. I don't know if it always will suck, but I, I don't think that throwing two more first round picks at the defense is going to change it. <laughs> I just don't go get some offense. All right. The offense is deteriorating, you know, by the month, basically <laughs> it, it went from great in 2020 to not so great in 2021 to downright bad in 2022. And then we lost already since the season ended, we've lost half the guys that were making it run in 2022. You got to start replacing with more. All right. I'm so happy that we have Christian and Romeo and you know what? Hooray that we still have Aaron Jones and we got AJ Dillon. That's great, but we had him last year and it wasn't enough. Go get some more pieces. It is time. Uh, it's also time for me to go to bed. So I'm probably going to have to delete this podcast in the morning because we're going to wake up and find out that Aaron Rodgers was, you know, whatever was decided. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to have to record a new podcast. But this has been me yelling at my computer for an hour and 34 minutes and uh, taking it, taking one for the team. So we'll finally have this Aaron Rodgers news or not. And you'll be listening to this and going, hmm. Kind of like this idea. Going to watch. Going to go watch me some Jackson Smith and Jigba and Michael Mayer highlights. Imagine them with Christian Watson, Aaron Jones. Mm, delicious. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day. Talk to you later. Bye bye.